0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Very excited about our guest today, uh, Griffin Dunn. But first, I want to thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening. And we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, and we'll read a few next time, perhaps. Griffin Dunn. He's an accomplished, award-winning, and Oscar-nominated actor, director, and producer. His feature film directorial debut was 1997's Addicted to Love, starring Meg Ryan and Matthew Broderick. In 2017, he directed and produced the acclaimed Netflix documentary Joan Didion, The Center Will Not Hold, about his aunt. His film credits include Dallas Buyers Club, Last Night and Broken City, and he's appeared on TV in House of Lies, Red Band Society, uh, one of my favorite titles ever, I Love Dick, and This Is Us and others too many to mention. He will soon appear in a new HBO Max series called The Girls on the Bus. Griffin, welcome into the back room. Well, thanks. It's
1: good to be back here.
0: (laughs) Well, before we get into uh, your illustrious life and career and the business of show, we'd be remiss if we didn't address the 300-pound gorilla in the room, Donald Trump. What's your... uh, Oh, my God. I know you're a political guy. I've been to fundraisers at your house. What's your take on that, on
1: the indictment and all that? Uh, you know, he's impossible to predict. I mean, any normal person would say, you know, these charges, which we've known about, the least of the things he's been uh, accused of doing, Um, and you would think they would stick. And for a uh, district attorney to bring charges the first time ever against a president in our history, I'm sure he has a very, very strong case. I just, I, I, I just can't say that, it will happen. I'd be thrilled. I'm a little worried about um, about what's going to go down. I think it's. Uh, you mean so like? I mean there's violence. A, yeah, you mean? yeah, yeah. I think there's just so many crazy people. Yeah. So it's it doesn't. Uh, I I just really think he's a despicable kind of horrible person that that uh, who I am convinced is a criminal. Mm-hmm. A lot of people talk about the indictment day,
0: if you watch a lot of CNN and MSNBC and all that, a lot of Democrats are like, this is a sad
1: day. Oh, I, I don't, no, I don't no. What's not sad that, day? Right? What's a sad day is what happened in Nashville uh, uh, right. a couple of days ago, what happened in all, all these shootings and, and what's sad is what's, you know, happening in Tennessee in their, near um, state houses. And mm-hmm. these, these men, and all the shit he's done over the last <laughs> yeah. seven or eight years; those <laughs> and, were sad And days. talking about and talking about uh, these this, the Second Right Amendment, as if as if that's what's at stake. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's more important than all these kids' lives. I, that that's what has me most upset yeah. about everything. But uh, you know, it's not a sad day that Trump is going. It's just. Uh, but it is it, creating some uncertain times. And ever since this piece of shit has been in our lives, mm-hmm. we've lived under the tyranny of uncertainty. So, um. Do you think we ever,
0: shy of death, do you think we ever get rid of him? Like, is, no. he, is he ever gonna not exhaust us and suck all the oxygen out of the media, the room, every room, every conversation? Our culture, society—like we just saddled with—is he like just this hemorrhoid I'm, on society?
1: Yeah, no, I'm afraid it's just going to take one, you know, really potent heart attack to get him out <laughs> of uh, our lives. Um, <laughs> he won't—he he won't be able to handle any kind of silence.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned the the mass shootings. Uh, what what? Besides stuff like that, which is horrible, like what what is mostly keeping you up at night when you think about the political sphere and
1: all that goes with it? There, um, you know, I, you you know, we have so many mutual friends in common with young kids, and I and I think about those kids, uh, you know, when they're in their forties and what the world's going to look like, um, you know, environmentally and mm-hmm. politically and geopolitically, I don't know, you're really bringing me down, Andy. (laughs) That's Um, the point of this uh, podcast. Is this the bummer podcast? Yeah, it is. Uh, (laughs) Uh,
0: That's why we have Xanax on the table, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) that's why you're drinking tequila right now. Okay. (laughs) uh, (laughs) So, you spend a lot of time in the Hudson Valley. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, is it correct to say you spend most of your time up here?
1: Excuse me. I, if I uh, am not working and required to be in the city or in Los Angeles or on location, I will spend it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came here, I, I bought a place here a little over 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, if I never had to leave, you know, one of the upsides about uh, the epide- uh, epidemic was I was just up here full time. Right, I Didn't need to be anywhere. I would, I'd never been so grateful to have a place. And what is it about being up here
0: that is at this stage in your life or perhaps in the last 20 years what what is it that is really so appealing about being up here i, I share I, your opinion by the way
1: yeah yeah i i i have a something like um biological happens to me as soon as i arrive as mm-hmm. soon as i pull into my driveway
0: uh i usually get that on the west side highway by the way
1: well you know i I, I I I found this place, I moved here so that I would not have to drive on the L I E to go to go to the Hamptons right. or psychoponic. I used to have a house there. Um, but when I when I when I get here and I pull the car up and I let my dog out of the the back of the pickup truck and it just starts running through the field and mm-hmm. I look down at my pond and I, it just something happens to me. I'm just like going, What was I so worried about? What was, what was the big deal that I was just going on? It's just, it's just a different, uh, you know, it just feels all right in the world when I'm up here.
0: Yeah. I kind of equate it to like, personally, it's like my old guy phase where I like to put on my boots and just fuck around in the garden. And like, I have a garage I can yep. put shit in my garage. Like all the things you just never get to do when you live Absolutely. in the city. Absolutely. And, and you don't pay attention to It's like, you just get used to having this apartment and there's a door and a building and an elevator. And it's like there's a lot of fun and just like yanking weeds out of the ground and stuff like that.
1: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's, uh, and also I think, you know, I think you know that I, uh, also have a menagerie yeah. of, of animals, yeah. um, here that, um, you have alpacas, right? Uh, I got rid of the alpacas. Oh, uh, I didn't want to say I got wait, rid wait. Of them. I, got... I shot them. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you, by what means did you get no, rid no, of No, no, I, sometimes they're just too many animals. Right. And, uh, uh, but so, so somebody came and got the alpacas. I used to have alpacas. They belonged to uh, uh, an ex-wife. And uh, I lost the Sounds alpacas. like there's a story there. I lost the alpacas <laughs> in the settlement. Very, very sad. And uh, But I still have ostriches and emus and goats and chickens. and. and who takes care of them? Uh, I got a person. I got a person for that. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so, so they're not just there fending for themselves all week while you're on you know, No, but on they, set. it's
1: fun to see, <laughs> see them do it. Just scrabble, scrap over food Set up
0: a nest camera to see them. Yeah, like...
1: Absolutely. Uh, no, I, I have a wonderful caretaker who and, and friends. He's been in my life for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it started, um, it wasn't my idea, these animals. I've just become associated with them. And I, I, they're part of my identity. But about 20 years ago, uh, our friend, uh, uh, Charlie Wessler, mm-hmm. he, he's he been like my brother, you know, since uh, we've been uh, best friends since we were like 11. And whatever I have is his and vice versa. And he was, um, he produced the movie, uh, Something About Mary. Mm-hmm. And he took Cameron Diaz's trailer from Florida where they were shooting it and parked it on my lawn and, uh, and I, I went away on location and he said, you know, I was thinking about it. We should get, we should get some chickens because, you know, and I'll build the coop and everything, you know, when you come back, you know, we'll have fresh eggs. And I came back and I have ostriches. And, uh, And chickens or just. Oh, they were chickens, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but like six ostriches. And, uh. And then I've got alpacas and he he just keeps getting in. I said, I'm not paying for this. This is, he goes, no, this is all my thing. And, and he was taking care of them, paying for them. And, and, you know, kids been coming over, you know, my friends, kids, they would come over and they'd see all these animals Mm -hmm. and just freak out. And, you know, now they're older. And sometimes somebody in their, you know, late teens or, you know, early twenties will come up and go, you know when I was a little boy the greatest day I ever had was on your farm and playing with all those animals and yeah Sophie pop- was there. Sophie's a perfect <laughs> one example
0: um, by the way I have an intense hatred for ostriches because unlike you who was blessed with the last name of Dunn yeah. my last name is Ostroy so that I was oh. called ostrich for many many years and I wow. uh, maybe wrongfully but I take it out on the ostrich
1: I, no, I, my I pain. You know I understand I realize uh We're gonna go so deep with this. Yeah, Yeah.
0: no, it it was scarring back
1: then. (laughs) Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay. uh, Yeah. So, your Mm childhood—you grew up in a uh, an artsy showbiz family. Was that a blessing
1: or a curse? I think. I think. uh, I think neither. But 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 it wasn't. You know, when you're in it and you're a kid, you're not thinking, "Wow, this is so fascinating." But later, it becomes quite fascinating. You know, as I got into the film business and started to make movies and appear in them. I would remember as a kid, like, meeting Billy Wilder mm. and William William Wilder, And, you know, my mother dated the guy who, who wrote Shane in and, and mm. Lonely Place. And, uh, you know, I thought he was kind of a, when I was a, a kid, I thought he was just kind of a silly Englishman, you know, didn't ash his cigarettes and they would always get on his tie and he'd flick him off. But then I wish he was still around. I have so much I want to talk to him about. Mm -hmm. Uh, And
0: your dad was a producer? My dad
1: was a a television producer. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, he had a company called Four Star, which was started by four stars, David Niven, Charles Boyer, uh, Dick Powell, and Robert Coote. And they had their own little... Like tiffany network mm. they made uh, uh television shows and so you know, like when i was a kid he uh i would go to his office which was at radford studios in, in the valley and after school and there'd be the gilligan's island i'd wander down and see the lagoon and crash the set of gilligan's island damn and McHale's navy and, now i'm jealous well, well no i mean all that was that was a lot of fun i bet it was Going to Gunsmoke and I, I think the most beautiful my idea of nature was the back of uh, the 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 sunset on the set, the the backdrop mm. for a sunset on the gunsmoke set. That was the most beautiful sunset I still have ever seen. You know, so is I, that still the longest running T V show that, ever? That's I think I think it's been surpassed by now, but it has been known as the longest running in history. Mm. which was over 20 years. But I have a feeling uh, Mariska's... um, Oh, right, right, right. I think that beat it, uh, Law and Order. Right,
0: right. And, uh, I mean, I I have friends who are lawyers because their dads and moms were lawyers and they went to law school and, you know, they grow up being lawyers. And then at some point they're like, fuck, I just wanted to be a veterinarian, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, did you ever have that point in your life where you're like, yeah, life's been great. I've been working and... You know, I have this great career and I enjoy it, but really wanted to be a pharmacist.
1: Mm, uh, if I was, I'd like to be a, a, a dolphin trainer.
0: That's very specific. I'd like,
1: I'd like to work with dolphins. Well, I to, know that I'd give up my whole life because I think the pay is terrible and I'd probably have to live out of a, you know. You mean there's no money in dolphin training? It's not that I do it for the money. Nobody goes into dolphins for the money. But, um, you know, you got to love it. But... But I do think I'd live probably, you know, somewhere in some shitty motel, Florida, in Florida, you yeah. know, and wearing a lot of Sea World clothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, and I, I think the quality of my friends would would. You'd smell like fish all the time. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think you did better than that. So, so, but it's not like a dream that keeps me up, and it's not. You know, I'm not going to walk away from this life for dolphins, but I don't know, I might.
0: It, now is this because you were on the set of flipper when you were you' very
1: you are so <laughs> my god I had no idea how insightful I watched um, a, I watched a lot of TV growing up well you know I really love that show <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I wanted to I be that, I wanted to, that's very good just <laughs> stick around long enough I could probably get it better <laughs> but oh, there um, you go <laughs> but that kid, I wanted that kid's life so badly. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All the kids, what's his name, Ron How? Opie. Mm-hmm. The kids in in uh, the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Like I came from a a, dis- a really dysfunctional family, so watching those shows, I was like, well, how did I draw this stick?
1: I know. I how know. To be these kids, they you were know? all so completely unrealistic, and they were all lying. There was no way. But I, I grew up in that same thing, and I was actually, you know, I, I, I would see them make those shows as a kid. And I knew they were fake, and they still mm-hmm. look better than real life. You know, there was, a, a, you know, the Beeve. Beeve the Beaver, the, the rifle. remember the kid in the Rifleman? Oh, my God. I wanted to, got, like
0: Chuck he, Connors Chuck Connors, a dad. Had, yeah, the I used Chuck, to look at my dad, and then I'd look at Chuck Connors and be like, how the fuck did this happen?
1: That kid's name was Crawford his last name was Crawford. And he got to use the Winchester. Yeah.
0: To
1: do that and they let him play with guns and, I mean, come
0: on. Yeah. All right. So you uh, you and I have something uh, awful in common, of course. Your sister, Dominique, was mm. murdered in 1982. My late wife, Adrienne Chelly, who you've worked with. I love um, She I was murdered in 2006. Uh, I just actually looked it up and realized that they actually died Within a couple of days of each other in November. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. I think November fourth is your sister when she died. When she died, died. and Adrian yeah. died on November first. The thing I want to ask you is is perhaps not what a lot of people would ask when they have this kind of conversation, but it's just a having been through that kind of thing. How do you deal with the subject of closure? It's been all these years now, forty years. Yeah. Is, did you are you able to reach that place that people talk about of closure or is it still as raw as it was then, or is there just something in between that just yeah. is with you every day, but you just find your path forward?
1: I think whoever invented that word closure, nothing ever happened in their lives. Yeah, amen. I think it's a a, a fake word. Yeah, and I don't even know, I don't even know what it means. You 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 know you go you. It's not like you stop missing someone. I don't even know what that means. It, um, You know the, you know I mean what. The other terrible thing we have is they didn't just die; they were uh, murdered by by a man. And I don't know. You know, people talk about when you see those those um, those shows of people visiting the person that killed their family in prison, and they hug each other. And,
0: right. A restorative and, justice.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not going to happen. Yeah. But but you can't carry around, <clears throat> you know, for your self preservation to be able to. Grow as a person and for your, you know, your spiritual development, uh, and uh, just being able to go from day to day, you can't carry around, um, the hate, you can't carry around whatever the things are that that that, that uh are so negative and so toxic that you let go of. But that's mm-hmm. nothing to a closure, that's that's about, um survival right you know and uh uh you know and and wanting to um and wanting to live and um but you don't uh you don't stop missing someone you know um and you don't forget what happened either and you know in my case i became um uh so it is not for not i you know i've, I've been very involved with victims rights my mother who was sick with ms we thought all this would make her worse make it worse and exacerbate it she actually found strength and started her own group right uh, called victims of homicide mm-hmm. and they changed laws in california that were to benefit the victim one was called Mar- marcy's law uh, which was named after a girl named marcy who her parents were very close with my mother and at that time, before there was this law, um, when someone got out on bail, um, they wouldn't even notify the family. Hmm. And by the way, the person who killed your daughter's son is free. And this happened when uh, uh, Marcy's mother saw the person who killed her uh, her daughter in a supermarket. And the guy followed around and taunted her. and. Hmm she called up the police department and said but why didn't anybody tell me Go well we don't have to well now they do and now they have to tell them when the guy who killed your loved one is uh, uh is is been free from prison and anyway, that's, awesome. that's that's what my mother uh and my father you know wrote uh, an article about vanity Fair, for Vanity Fair that has become like a bible for a victims' rights groups, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been involved with uh, gun violence, mm-hmm. gun violence prevention, ever since. Um, now, one of the things that is different in our
0: cases is that uh, Dominique's killer. And, and by the way, your sister was beautiful. She was talented. She certainly seemed like she was on a trajectory to achieve was. great mm-hmm. things in in her line of work, which is tragic in and of itself. But the the tragedy was sort of compounded because of the the short sentence yeah. that uh, her killer received
1: yeah well that's what really very much changed our lives um that we also um each one of us dealt with trying to make it, if not sense sense of our lives for something he only did uh he did three years for mm-hmm. you know strangulate strangling someone mm-hmm. and you know it was treated as um in the courtroom, there was this happens less and less due to efforts of people like my mother, where they they put the victim, the one who was killed, they put that person on trial, they put that char- that person's character, and that very much took place. And they were they were treated, they they uh, they they murdered my sister all over again in the courtroom, and uh, treated it like it was some sort of Romeo and Juliet um, tragedy. And uh, uh, and it was because the evidence was kept away from the jury. Every time something significant would happen, mm-hmm. like the killer of my sister had a violent freakout in the courtroom and tried to attack uh, the woman who was on the stand who he had put in the hospital twice before. the jury was out. They were sent out of the room because they thought that would be prejudicial. So they missed all that. They missed. Oh, God, they miss so much every time. So when the jury came out, they were like, going, well, we didn't know that. We didn't know any right. of that. Right,
0: they kept, you know, I guess you guys tried to share your experiences in terms of how the relationship well, was. They, sh- and- they,
1: they showed, the, they had the evidence and witnesses of his previous experience uh, of, of times, he his violent history against women. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, 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 uh, You know, they were going for uh, at least second-degree murder. It turned out to be manslaughter, is what what he was convicted of. But they, apparently, if you shoot someone, that can be a a first- or second-degree murder. But if you take the six minutes it takes to strangle someone, that's manslaughter. Right. As if it's not premeditated. Right. But what's going on in those four to six minutes uh, so it was, it was, uh, it, it was a travesty. Yeah.
0: And well, you, when I when, when Adrian's case was starting to percolate in the court system, but pre-trial, yeah. uh, although we never went to trial, but you and I met and then, and, uh, because I asked you about your experience and you gave me what I, I still tell people is incredible advice that literally profoundly changed the lives of myself and everyone in our family. And you said a couple of things that were amazing. One of which was you said that you had come from a showbiz family. And so, you know, just if you spend time in a trial, like when there's a break, you know, you go to lunch, maybe you joke around because it's just, you know, whatever. And sometimes the jury is eating lunch in the same place. And you said, don't smile. Don't, Don't show anything that can make these morons go, oh, he doesn't really care about his wife getting killed. And at the time, I was like, "Really? Like, is, you have to do that? Are people that stupid that they can't allow you to laugh or smile?" And and but that stuck with me. And I remember standing next to the prosecutor in the courtroom during hearings and seeing like. And I just, I was like a robot because of what you told me.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll never. Uh, oddly, you know, we would have lunch breaks, and what was odd was the the uh the jury we all went to the same restaurant the ivy which is on in mm-hmm. santa monica Robertson. uh no no they, they had one in santa oh, monica, santa monica. Right, right, right. and the jury would sit at their uh last supper table on the other side of the restaurant and we our friends and family who came every day were on the opposite ends of the restaurant and after a particularly brutal Day of testimony you know, of hearing the defense lawyer, uh, it was a tough day. And, uh, you know, somebody told us a story that happened um, to my mom. And uh, anyway, it made us cry with laughter. <laughs> and we were literally, and we were kind of like, we we're letting everything out. Of course. But, you know, and I remember looking at the jury looking at us like we were monsters. Mm. Um, and they'll never, you know, we didn't conform to what their idea of what grief looks like. Right? They had an image in their mind from, you know, movies and television, whatever they think sadness and grief is. And, uh, you know, all the way through that um, and, and continues all the way through life. I don't know if it's from being Irish Catholic and, how it was, I find humor in the worst possible times. I Welcome mean, to my world. Yeah, and and I have, you know, cried with laughter and never been funnier when things are terrible. Right, uh, I don't know what that's about, but well, um, just laughter makes you feel very, better. It doesn't yeah. it? Doesn't negate anything you feel as a human exactly. being compassionately
0: or empathetically for other people? It's just it's your way of coping. Yeah. The other thing you said to me, which is really something that. Changed our lives and made me look at everything from a biz- business standpoint, as you said, if they negotiate and there's a good deal, take it. Because apparently, I guess you guys had a situation where you could have maybe taken something and you didn't. Yeah, And that just stuck with me. And I remember the prosecutor sitting me down and saying, we have a chance of 25, no parole, no appeal. That's it. And my first reaction was, I want 25 to life. And, and then I started thinking, and cause he was saying, you can go manslaughter, you know, manslaughter. And all of a sudden there's, he's out in three. And those, your words stuck with me when I had that conversation. And that's, it's heartbreaking to think of what your family went through in that regard. Yeah,
1: it was, it, it could have been avoided. We found out it was really just a mind fuck. He was just feeling us out. They were offered it. And when we accepted it, they changed their mind. They just want to see if we take it. Mm. Uh, so we were going to go to trial no matter what, but if it was real, at least it would have been. Even after parole, it would have been twice as long as it turned out to be. And uh, and that guy um, is in your in your situation. He's still doing time, right?
0: Yeah, he. But you know, he's that twenty five is going by very quickly. Yeah, I and mean, he'll be out in... Eleven years, ten years, or something. Yeah, like well, that. nine years, I think.
1: I, uh, I, I would, I would have been very happy. Yeah, our, our fellow was.
0: I can't imagine what, you know. I mean, I look, I, I, I feel for you and your family, and uh, I know, I know how that still exists today yeah, in your yeah, minds. Yeah. So let's talk about yes. uh, work growing up before you really started getting into the acting thing who were your inspirations as actors who did you look at on screen and go
1: i want to be that guy Uh, or that woman yeah i would i would say uh dustin hoffman Mm -hmm. from the time I, i i saw the graduate when it came out i was like five years from being able to legally see that movie i don't know how i got into the theater but i saw it uh and i just looked at that guy and i thought oh he's kind of funny looking. I'm kind of funny looking and he's hilarious. And this movie is like the funniest, greatest thing I've ever seen. I really want to, I think I want to be an actor. Although, you know, I grew up as, as as we were talking about around all this. And previously I, I did not want to be in show business. I I didn't want to be in, um, I I didn't want to be, in los angeles i don't want to be talking about movies around the dinner table the way i grew up doing i wanted to like go to new york and be a writer and but anyway i saw dustin and i that got in my head and and on the day you know like any kid in la or probably any town when you turn 16 you get to drive a car you get your driver's license it's the most important birthday of your life and uh so I, I went to, uh, I wanted to go to the DMV in Santa Monica, and nobody was at the, in the house when I woke up on my birthday. So I took my mother's car, and I drove myself to the DMV. And uh, and the, the instructor said, uh, okay, where's your chaperone? I went, oh, she's just in the bathroom. Well, let's do the test. <laughs> so we did the test. I passed, and he goes, I, I need the chaperone to, you know, sign this. Oh, I don't know where she is. And fun. He signs off and i have my driver's license it's your first acting gig my first acting well i've been lying a lot (laughs) many years before that and uh, like a serial killer my pulse never rose (laughs) and uh anyway i'm so excited that i pull out of the dmb i run a red light a car comes from the opposite direction and stops within inches screeches and the guy's screaming, what the fuck, fuck it. I'm looking at the veins in his neck. He's screaming, and I look up in his eyes, and it's Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> and I go, oh. That's crazy. I am such a fan of yours, I'm thinking of. <laughs> And I smile. And he goes, what the fuck, are you smiling, at? <laughs> you fucking. and <laughs> So I, I moved to New York couple 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 of uh, years later. Did you ever run into him? Like yeah, you know, I told, and, and, and I, the funny that the good thing about him is um, he doesn't remember anything. So I can tell him the story over and over and over. Even if he, he remembers
0: the, everything, he probably wouldn't have remembered it the way you do. No, certainly not. It, probably wasn't it was as important to it was him not as, as important <laughs> to him as it was to me. That's That's, what I'm sure. that's an awesome story. So your you, your first film was uh, in '75, "The Other Side of the Mountain." But w- would you consider
1: that your big break or was that more like werewolf yeah Werewolf for sure i mean that was that was the other side of the mountain was you know the first movie where i you know went on location and you know i met so many people i became really close friends with dabney coleman and who was one of the funniest men ever but no as far as having a like a lead part and Mm -hmm. you know having something that's going to come out in movie theaters that people are going to notice that was uh, definitely werewolf yeah
0: And in Werewolf, I had read that you kind of freaked out when you saw yourself in the makeup, which was pretty intense makeup. And uh, the director, John Landis, kind of literally had to talk you, and other
1: people had to talk you off
0: the ledge. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it was, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that my mom was sick and she had MS and, you know, I really cared about her. And when, I don't know why, I didn't, I didn't know what it would look like and it took hours and hours and hours and it was the first phase of the makeup where the the werewolf had just attacked me and I looked at myself and it was so real the wounds and the veins and the blood and everything was I looked I looked like what I would look like if I was violently attacked violently murdered and it it was it was it was really um you know you know all the people go to you know the horror comms and all those mm-hmm. things and they all dress up as that they've been murdered and all that kind of i never really had any they never had any appeal to me you know like what they saw and all that and this was like not ever you know everybody thought oh god that'd be so much fun to get dressed and look like that and then walk on the street and scare people and it 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 really bothered me and it, it really like I pictured myself dead. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you think, think there's some literally.
0: element of, of just the fact that you've, if you experienced that kind you know, kind of horrific tragedy in your life with your in your with Yeah. Your but sister. that was, this
1: was years before. That was,
0: that was, that was Oh, right. Years right, before. Right, right,
1: right, right. And my first thought was that how upset my mother's going to be to see me like that. Mm. You know some some people worry about uh when they do porn they go I hope my parents don't see this. Oh, I never worried about that. I, I wouldn't worry about that. In the least. I would have brought my mom to the theater. But in this case <laughs> uh but in this case I didn't want her to see her, you know, her to see me as a was so selfless of, of you.
0: I know. <laughs> and First then you step. did uh you worked with uh what was
1: it like working with Madonna? in who's that girl? Yeah, we had a lot of laughs. She was very funny. I mean, it was a uh, you know, alternate universe because you're uh you're just never alone you're you're you know it's quiet in that room and then madonna's over there and you close the door behind you and then there's just helicopters and paparazzi and uh, and no matter where you are i mean it's it was like i we had to almost do um uh looping the adr you know our dialogue outdoors Uh, had to almost do it all just because of helicopters Mm. that were hovering over to get pictures of her, you know, and when she would leave for the day, she'd drive off the lot and about six cars of just weird, stalking, creepy fucking people would just follow her. I don't know how she handled it. She, she, She just enjoyed it. And she was very hardworking. You know, I'd stumble onto the set for, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock call. She'd have been out for three hours working out in the hotel gym. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't waste a moment.
0: I was uh, 26, living out in L.A. in 1983. And my boss, who was maybe a year older than me at the time, this job I had, and he, we were going to a meeting and he goes, I want to play you something. And, and he was gay and he goes, this, "This, it played this woman in the gay clubs all the time she's going to be huge. And he puts on, I think it was borderline or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's pretty catchy. And, but yeah, that's how she started. And they all knew yeah. that she's going to be tremendous. And she, and she was, you know, yeah. I mean, the, back then in those the mid eighties, there was n- nobody, I don't even think today there's anybody that comes close to being that big the way she burst out.
1: Yeah. I always felt a little out of sync. And she would give me a lot of shit about this, that I liked her. I, I, I the the music to this day really doesn't grab me. It's mm-hmm. just not my kind of. You know, I'm a very you know, I was more you know, indie rock. You know, L.A. You're you more know, of like a Billie t- Eilish guy, I think. N- you know, you know. Maybe, although I like her, I like her a lot actually. But you no, know, but it's more you know, Eagles, Jackson Brown, mm-hmm. Linda Ronstadt kind of a thing. Uh, you know, the sort of a metallic sound of you know, the overproduced sort what of sound just, of, of hers. It just didn't, yeah, it just didn't grab me. Right. But, but um, uh, you know, I could appreciate it, but it wasn't my kind of music. Uh, well,
0: before that, actually, you did it After Hours, working with Scorsese, mm-hmm. and this m- movie is like a classic.
1: Uh, was that like the best time of your, was that like your favorite film to do? It was. Every day was a gas. Every night, I should say. Um, you know, I, I had to, Uh, the gaffers from the movie came and blacked out all my windows in my apartment, just so I could sleep all day. But it was, you know, where I learned the most. It was like, you know, every day uh, from pre-production, from the moment we got, Marty said yes to the movie. He would hand me a VHS, which is, you know, the technology at the time, and go, uh, uh, yeah, you should know who this guy is. And it would be uh, a Bergman film or a Rosalini, and he had a library thousands of of these vcrs on the and the machines that would just be recording you know for movies of the week and stuff and he had an assistant that had to go through tv guides when people use tv guides and circle whatever movie was on and and set the time on the recorder for it to play if it was going to go on at two in the morning or whatever just to find someone who knew how to do that it's mm. still a miracle to me. I I, I don't believe anyone <laughs> really knew how to do that, even when there was the technology. But he would have, you know, like six or seven machines just going on 24 hours. <clears throat> so I learned a lot about how to watch movies and how to make movies. It became very influential when I became a director to, to see the kind of energy uh, that you could bring to a set, that would have an effect on the actors. That would be supportive and be a really, like, a great environment, um, where you're, uh, you know, no matter what the scene was about, you're just having like, I can't believe how much fun I'm having. Mm-hmm. You know? And you know, every actor's dream, I guess,
0: is to work with Scorsese, uh, and you did. Is it? Is it? Uh, what it's cracked up to be?
1: Yeah. No. It's. It's. Um, you know, it was. A, it was a great time particularly to be working with him then because you know he just made uh, a movie that was not appreciated at the time but is now um came with comedy mm. but that rupert. Mo- uh rupert pumpkin mm-hmm. but you know that movie um, lost the studio a lot of money it cost and his reputation took a hit yeah. uh for uh, being over budget and he had to really prove that he could make a movie for a price um so um and you know, I, I was one of the producers. Amy Robinson and I were were the producers, and of of After Hours, we Amy found the script mm-hmm. um, at at Sundance at the Sundance Lab. Joe Minion had written it as like his school thesis to get uh, to graduate from Columbia Film School. Wow, and um, and he, uh, and and it got to Amy through. Uh, Serbian director named Dujan Makaveev. Anyway, she read it, called me, and said, This is, uh, this, the script is great. This, this is a perfect part for you. And, uh, we started to, started to make it. Mm. And we got it to Marty. Uh, Amy was in Mean Streets, had already worked with Marty, and she played Teresa in Mean Streets. So that's an underrated movie. Yeah. Well, And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a, great experience mm-hmm. and then uh, in
0: 92 you did this Disney movie Big Girls Don't Cry They Get Even uh, with
1: Adrian that's right <laughs> I was thinking where the hell are you this we're talking about after our <laughs> now Big Girls Don't Cry famous <laughs> in my canon well, it's just showing your range but yeah but now I know why you're bringing it up because that is where I met Adrian yeah so what was it like to work with Adrian oh I, I, I just loved her you know she played my girlfriend right and it was really funny how I wasn't that old but I played a guy who, like, had a really young girlfriend. Um, which just sort of tickles me, because now I am old. And uh, and I do have a young girlfriend. Um, but Life imita- life, not imitating her. But it was so funny that I could have been... Gosh, I, I must have been in my 30s. And it was like a big joke that, uh, you know, Dad, grow up, why don't you have girls your own age? And it was Adrian, and I don't think Adrian was that much younger than me. Was, she certainly looked young for us. She was, but uh, uh, was you know, and now we, now we, would all even out, and mm-hmm. you we know, wouldn't have been shocking at all.
0: Well, there's such a great scene in that film, which just shows her comedic talent and yours which I put in my documentary about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, shameless plug, HBO Max, Adrian. Wonderful, wonderful talk. I, Thank you, you. know how much I admired And I want to talk about yours in a minute, but, um, so she's standing in front of this big, giant, blank, white canvas, and she's staring at it. And She's not very bright in the movie, okay, <laughs> which is funny because in real life, she, I think she had like a 400 IQ, but. Yeah, yeah. And she's staring at it, and you walk over, and I think her name was Audrey, maybe, or, and, and you said, what are you doing? And she goes, and she goes, your, your work. And you're like, Audrey, it's just a blank canvas. And she looks and she goes, yeah. <laughs> Such <laughs> a silly, stupid moment, but it was just perfect for her character and yours. Because, you know, people watching her are like, what the hell is he doing with her? And then they're also like, what,
1: what is he doing with her? Uh, I don't think any of us thought we were uh, going to make the next, you know, great movie while we were in it. But we had so much fun doing it because... Um, it was it was really well cast it was directed by joan silver Mm -hmm. who i had produced the very first movie i produced again with amy Mm robbins i know her daughter claudia uh oh yeah Mm -hmm. and uh we did chilly scenes of winter Mm -hmm. so joan hired me to be an actor years later in that and but we would get david strathairn was also in it and between takes we would uh, rush back to the car where we were like our holding area. And David would pick up a, from the short story that he had started to read, and we'd all, he, he has this beautiful voice, and he, we would just read short stories to us. Mm. Like, sitting around a campfire, but we were in the, uh, in, in a car, and we couldn't wait to get back to whatever the story would be, a Don DeLillo story, or a, or a uh, you know, Tim O'Brien, or a, any any of these great, great writers. Anyway, we, it was a good group. Yeah, and she, she had met uh, Dan
0: Fogelman. No, Futter, Futterman. Futterman, and they got involved for a couple of years. It was a pretty oh. intense relationship according to what she had told me. But it was funny, I used to travel with her and like we'd be in an airport and we'd go through the x-ray and some guy would just be like, I know you. And I would say to her, it's gotta be that Disney movie because this dude wasn't watching Har- Hal Hartley's films. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it was right. always this film. Like any most of the time when it was somebody like who wasn't like a 30 year old woman Mm-hmm. would
1: say, oh, I love you, I've seen you in some movie, and it was always big girls. Yeah, you can track certain people by their age, where they were in their lives. The one in my life is, um, I played a guy named Mr. Bixler in, um, oh, it just went out of my head, um, Mr. Bixler. One of your porn films? Or no, no, a- no, no, with Keira, uh, uh, Macaulay Culkin. Him. Oh, my, my Girl. My Girl. My and, kids loved You know, when when people, women of a certain age, they're now in their, getting their Mid-30s 40s. Mid-30s and late... Mid-30s, mm-hmm. yeah. They'll go, I had such a crush on you. I loved Mr. Bixler. I loved you so much. My kids
0: were obsessed. My daughters yeah. were obsessed with that yeah,
1: movie. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a, like, oh, I know where you were. Okay, I got it. Yeah.
0: And uh, so... Uh, you've directed, you started, you've directed TV. Your first film you directed, Addicted to Love, was with Meg Ryan. I mean, that's pretty big. Matthew Broderick, big name Mm -hmm. actor, like Practical Magic in 98. Is it, I mean, so many actors, of course, want to direct, but when you directed, were you like, this is what I want to do? Like, this is amazing. Like, and how do you, where is it today in terms of, Acting versus directing. Do you have a pre? I mean, maybe it's a dumb question. Said you have a preference because they're so different. Has it really helped you? Because I know Adrian used to say this all the time. Coming from an act, being an actor, does that element of experience really help you in directing?
1: Yeah. Um, well, once once you have directed, uh, uh, the first thing I directed was a short film that 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 I co-wrote with Adam Brooks, Oscar nominated, and it right? was nominated for an Oscar, mm-hmm. and which led to how I could. My next movie would have Meg Ryan in it, and and I get a great script, and um, and I assumed I loved it uh, directing because it was all-consuming, and, and you know you don't have to go into the makeup van and you know be fussed with people fussing with your hair and stuff. If you're an actor who directs, because you did all you, that yourself. Well, I always do that. before. Yeah. I did that before I came to see you today. <laughs> um, you look great, by the way. Oh, damn. Thank you. I dropped the Mohawk though. But but there is as an actor you 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 uh, who directs you really put yourself in the mind of playing all the parts Mm -hmm. you know so, which I thought would be tremendously helpful for when I return to acting, Uh, since I've been telling other people to uh, I could be so specific in my direction and speak a language that other actors you know understood. I thought that would be really really helpful. Mm -hmm. But in fact. I took a, quite a few steps back. It took me, a, I, I'd been, I was directing myself, which does not work. Um, I, I was, became where I never was before, very self-conscious on a set when I was acting. So I, I kind of had to relearn how to, um, how to act again or how to forget what I thought I knew. Now I enjoy it very much. And I think, you know, I, I do both all the time if I could. Uh, I think it's a it's 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 a tough time to you know kind of um, get movies made. I mean, what the hell is a movie going on now? You know, and I'm developing stuff that, uh, and it's all for television, limited series. You know, that I might or might not direct. But you know, I'm in. I was just in a movie. We were talking about Mexico City earlier. I was in Mexico City shooting a movie, starring part. Um, that uh, turned out great. Called Men of Divorce. We'll see what happens to it. You know, I mean, who's that? What's is that uh, a studio or a streamer? We uh, it hasn't or it's been independent. It's independent. Uh-huh. You know, it's gonna. You know, we'll see what festivals it goes. Mm-hmm. They just they just finished. I haven't even done the the ADR on it yet. But but i but the the future of any movie mm-hmm. is uncertain. Well, I was going to add, one of the questions I had for you was, what what is, uh,
0: but I'm not done with my directing questions yet, Mm -hmm. which I want to get back to in a second, but I do want to ask you about the differences, good and bad, in the movie business today. It's easy to see what's happening in TV, which is like an explosion of content and talent and everybody wants to do TV and there's such amazing uh, television programs, but the film business has changed so much. Do you see it as
1: all bad, or is there some good, some silver lining? There's a podcast, uh, The Daily, and an interview with A.O. Scott that I think anyone interested in, you know, the movies, television, future of, and all that, should should listen to, Uh, and the reasons that he's resigned from being a critic, um, is, uh, you know, now that streamers are making feature films, uh, you know, it takes out a certain urgency about seeing movies. And there there's so much television, so much content that um, you know, I, I have this conversation all the time, just yesterday, of like, Oh, have you seen such and such? And I went, yeah, yeah, I saw the first, you know, episode, but you know, I don't know, I kind of I don't feel like seeing the second. He goes, Oh no, you gotta hang in until the fifth <laughs> I go, I don't want to hang in until they're back, you know? And so I think everybody's like, attention span is just getting, you know, shorter and shorter and, um, and it's, it's so easily accessed to just sort of flip through and then go on to another streamer to another streamer. I mean, they're even trying to make baseball more interesting. Um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, people don't have enough attention span for, Watching a baseball game.
0: Well, it's like they say, oh, it's you know, it's hard to watch a game for you know two and a half hours. Like, well, people fucking did. Had they been doing it for the last hundred years? It's so never been a problem. It's never it had been, never a problem. been a problem.
1: Right. But now, anything you know, getting people's attention is is a problem. Well, and our, it's our just, brains are being rewired.
0: I, I look, yeah. I went through it the other day. My son was like, oh, have you watched the new su- Succession yet? A show which you you were on. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, my, I might. I kind of want to wait almost until I can just binge it. Yeah, I know just what you mean. But then when I was a kid, I remember like how exciting it was to like wait for that new episode of a show next week. And like, it's literally like our brains have been rewired. We, We have no capacity to wait for anything anymore. Yeah. Back to directing. So... You, you edit doc- this, right? Huh? You edit this. No. This <laughs> is... Uh, t- yeah, the ums, the pauses come out. Your documentary about your aunt, Joan yes. Didion, uh What was it about the time you made it that made you realize, I want to do this, I want
1: to do it now. This is a documentary I want to make. I I I knew... I knew she wouldn't let anyone else do it but me. And just knowing that and knowing that there had not been a documentary about her and that there should be one and that there should be some some record of her life other than what she's written about in books, uh, I, I, I felt it was like a, a duty without getting too heavy about it. I thought it was like an obligation mm-hmm. and I was the only one in a position of doing it. And it came about because, um, uh, she asked the publishers to hire me to direct a, like a promo film for Blue Nights, which was uh, the the last book that she would write, and we had so much fun making that um, that I asked her, you know, if I could do a doc feature length, and she said yes. And you know, more people seem to have watched that movie in the past year than when it came out. Uh, that's the good thing about streaming, by the way, that it's just mm. there. What do you think? There's a re, a surge in recent viewership. I, I think as time goes by, her her legend becomes and her personality and her image becomes more iconic. Mm-hmm. That's and a great
0: they, film, and it's certainly have got it's gotten great word of mouth.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm very proud of it, mm-hmm. and 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 she uh, she really loved it, and and you know, I was able to make that movie well her health was still good and we mm-hmm. could t- go to the New York Film Festival and we'd sit up in the booze and uh, I'd help her stand up to as she got a 10-minute a standing ovation. Mm. You know, and I was able to make that happen. Well, it's such an intimate portrayal
0: and uh, documentation of her life and uh, and I think people are right that only you could have done it. because. There were people who told me the same thing about about my film. Right, of course. Uh, in our final moments, I want to ask you uh, just a few quick questions, uh, at the risk of calling it a lightning round, uh, mm-hmm. which I won't do, but it's basically what it is. What's the work you're most proud of?
1: I do I'm. I'm uh, I think I'm. I think it's in the works. I mean, I I'm. Um, I, I'm proud of most of everything I've done. But I'm always, uh, I approach whatever I'm working on next like it'll be the thing I'm most proud of. Mm-hmm. What about uh, uh, something you look at and think,
0: was I high when I did that job? Well, a few acting things. I mean, like been... mm-hmm. things you look at and you just
1: can't believe you did it. And You mean in a good way or a bad, bad way? Bad way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. There, there definite There are definite acting jobs that I, you know, I'm just glad... You didn't remind me. I did. I, I have an ability to put them <laughs> out of my mind, but yeah, I would say uh, though, if I had to answer, I'd say that documentary. Uh, I, it's it it's uh, about Joan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it's I'm the most proud of, because I have the most reasons to be proud mm-hmm. of. You know, um, so that's the long answer to your short. Break. How about uh, wish list actor, actors,
0: actresses that you would have loved to work with and haven't worked with yet? Um.
1: Well. The, the two actors that continue to uh, amaze me um, are uh, Ray Fines and Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. And I know he's apparently retired, but I hope that's not true, because I think he's both he and Ray are two of the most fascinating actors to me. I mm-hmm. um, I'd love to work with and or, or just watch them. And a director to work with? P.G. Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, anything I, I just love his sensibility, his you know his approach, the energy that that's in his movies, and um, I love the length of his movies. Uh, you know, there's he's, he 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 hits it all for me.
0: And do you have one of those like well, I auditioned for Titanic and wish I got it uh, things? Like, is there a film that you wish you had gotten that you didn't get?
1: Um, Raging Bull. Yeah, I, that didn't come up. <laughs> um uh although I did you know I met Scorsese um f- on Alice doesn't live here anymore uh, and I was sent there by an agent who somehow managed to get me this appointment and it was I was uh 19 years old and I was sent in to meet for to the part of the of the boy who was 11 years old and Marty opens the door and goes uh, yeah can I help you well, yeah, I'm here to see Martin Scorsese about uh, you know, this movie. He goes, Jesus. How old are you? I went, I'm nineteen. The the part is for an eleven year old. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, well, I didn't know. And i start to walk away. He goes, No, come in. Just come. and we sat and we talked for like a half hour. Wow. Um, not knowing that years later we'd be working together. Wow. Cool story. Griffin, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you.
0: I'm really really go back appreciate to that. it. And uh, yeah, I guess get a nap. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. That's episode 59. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at andyostroy. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jed Hamoud, Cricket, yep, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, Griffin Dunn. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.